0: Back when I took architecture and like drafting in like 2006, people had to like pass the calipers with two hands to each other because they were so expensive that <laughs> under no circumstance could they be dropped.
1: Welcome to Game of Nodes, a weekly podcast on the Cosmos from independent validator teams.
2: Hello and welcome to Game of Nodes, a weekly podcast on the Cosmos from independent caliper teams. Uh, and we're here this week with Henry from Penumbra, uh who's experienced probably one of the strangest opens to the cold opens to the podcast yet. Um Hey, is Dad joining us tonight? I, I just suddenly realized I didn't ask earlier.
0: Yes. Uh, I think he said he has a conflicting meeting, but we'll be here any minute
2: what is with all these folks with real real business, real business activities going on at the moment? Um, so yeah, we've got Henry from Penumbra. Uh, we have like I guess a few <laughs> other things. I missed a, a good episode from you folks last week. Oh. Oh, there we go. Speaking of the devil, speak of <laughs> good the devil stretch. and he will appear, right? You know. That's the one. All right, You I, don't, I honestly don't even remember what we talked about last week. Uh, you talked quite a bit about well, so I would say it was like um, substantially about um, regulation because the the whole SEC thing. And then I was disappointed to note that the one thing that was left in the spreadsheet by me, which was, have you ever seen those Japanese Beatles just fucking each other? was like 5% at most of the show.
1: Well, it's tough about <laughs> the context. We're
0: like... <laughs> kind of... I have no idea what it was about. I was like, I'm, I have no a pretty baffling statement to leave in the fucking um, spreadsheet but
2: all i'm saying is what what happens in amsterdam stays in amsterdam anyway um was there a lot of beetle
0: fucking in amsterdam
2: no no there wasn't really um i don't know why i sound so disappointed when i said that but um so (laughs) the actual background to this was i can't i can't even remember why it came up but you you have this this beetle with no apex predator or no predator that I think is an invasive Japanese beetle, and on I'm going to say the west coast, um, and they just they just sit around and they fuck, and uh, and they, it generates heat, and then it kills the plants. Uh, it is, uh, I think maybe they sit on crops and they fuck, it's something like that. And it came up, and I was like, that is very bizarre. But the quote that is introduced to me with was, "Have you ever seen those Japanese beetles just fucking?" And I was like, well, no, no, I have not. Um, so I thought I'd pass it on in, in case you guys could you know, get some mileage out of that for, 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 you know, online content. That was my gift to you for last week.
0: Wow. You're right. It is on the West coast. There's Oregon has a huge thing about it. I will, I will add that Believe. to the spreadsheet for people want to look it up.
2: Yeah. There you go. So the show notes, everybody, if you're kind of curious, um, uh, Artifact showed me a video on his phone and they were indeed really going at it. Hammer and tongs. Why details. is he a video of? Fucking Beatles on his phone. I think it was immediately before he then conference called you into to our yeah. afternoon. He's talking about that, Yeah, it was literally like, "Here's Japanese Beatles, here's usurper." <laughs> so if I look confused, it was because the thing that had immediately preceded you on the conference call was Beatles. Um, that was that was. Sounds like a decent enough uh, conversation started, right? have, have you seen these Beatles, by the way? Let me tell you he about was, these beetles fucking. People <laughs> say that I go off on tangents, um, which I do. Uh so, glad you
3: admitted that.
2: Yeah. Um I also so I so yeah, I thought that I thought the thing last week, the, com- the the conversation was good. And there was a particular point as well where Shorty, you were talking about um how the regulation on exchange is gonna change. And I thought it was really, really interesting because you basically um spontaneously came up with a design that's actually the regulatory argument being used by some researchers for digital cash at the moment which is that the if you use blind and we're sorry in advance henry because i'm gonna stumble onto territory which i'm not qualified to talk about which is cryptography just um, before
3: you start uh, we only have henry for 40 minutes so keep that in mind yeah, before you let's let's, move, let's
2: let's move on to let's move on to, to to henry in a second but we are so blind proofs not gonna go into them because i don't understand them but The argument is your first, as I understand it, the first spend using a blind proof to prove that you have the funds uh, can be uh, privacy preserving. And then it's only the person who takes the payment that then has to essentially take that back through an exchange or a money service business or any kind. Um, So they are potentially subject to the regulatory question of where do these funds come from? So it's actually part of a a design for digital cash is exactly what Shorty described, where the money services, business, bank, whoever that is, exchange might have to be regulated because they're going to get money from all sorts of places, even if it is a CBDC or a digital cash um, solution that uses something like Blind Proofs. So I was like, there you go.
0: Well, I think I deserve a point there. What's the point worth? (laughs) It's internet points, nothing.
2: Um, It's a one of one (laughs) NFT, Uh, no cash value. Um, but so yeah, um, we we have this week Henry from Penumbra, um, somebody who I, I, I it took me I think I, we briefly met I think with with Jake and two x four in uh, Lisbon a couple of years ago. It took me a while to put two and two together that your GitHub handle was the GitHub handle being pulled in when I did Rust projects for certain libraries, and I was like, hold on a second, hold on one second, this this is the same person. Um, but obviously in this context, Henry um are you the what's your official job title in penumbra your official role is it founder co-founder
3: yeah um founder is good um i mean so what happened basically is uh i had previously been doing a lot of uh just like cryptography engineering building tooling for building crypto projects and the way that that had gone is that you know it's sort of been like oh like this would be a cool like crypto thing to build Uh, but oops, there aren't any good tools to build it. So I'll like go off and build those tools. And then now those are built, try and build the next thing and build the next thing and so on. Um, This led me to to work on some bigger and bigger projects. Um, Ended up working on Zcash for a while Um, in the early days of the project to build Zebra, which is like a second uh, Zcash full node. And they actually just finished and tagged their uh, 1.0 release. That's really exciting to see. Although I haven't uh, been, that, that work was carried on by, by other people, not just me. Um, and then about two years ago, um, I started uh, thinking about Penumbra as kind of an answer to a question of like, how do you build privacy preserving cryptography that people are actually going to use? Like, it's one thing to just like build a bunch of tools where, oh, you could build all these different things. Um, but it's another to have some kind of like theory of change of like, why, why is this private system going to win compared to some transparent alternative that people could use instead? Um, and so one way to think about Penumbra is actually that it's a very elaborate answer to that question.
2: Uh, so we'll, we'll loop back around in a, bit, in a minute to, to, to some of the other stuff you said about your background, but why would you describe it as an elaborate solution?
3: Well, because it's, you know, like, it's it's an entire, uh, like, blockchain, private decks like, it's a new, like, privacy-preserving 01, does cross-chain privacy stuff. Like, it's elaborate in the sense that the, trying to come up with an actual answer of, like, how do you build a, a privacy-preserving system that can outcompete its transparent alternatives requires, like, actually doing that and actually, like, yeeting an entire new protocol out into the world turns out to be like quite a lot of work
2: yeah so on that point i would say that just from uh, dipping into the discord periodically to see how things are going um there's obviously a lot of vaporware in this system in this ecosystem and i think penumbra is one of those things that is the absolute like Uh, axiomatic (laughs) opposite of vaporware that the amount of work that's gone into it over the last um, couple of years it literally i think gives me a bit of a migraine every time i look into your discord at how much um, seems to be going on as well as the 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 complexity of it which is very i think i guess i guess cryptography maybe always looks like that if you are just a normal software engineer who generally doesn't have to deal with with cryptography and the maths behind it but what have been like some of the biggest challenges that you have encountered and like, were they ones you expected from the outset or
3: actually, no. So especially with, with like ZK stuff, um, there's a lot of focus on like, Oh, here we're doing these proofs. The proofs are very complicated. Here are all these different advances in proving technology. Here's like the latest proof system and so on and so on and so on. Um, and for us, we actually found that that wasn't sort of the most difficult or interesting part, and the reason is that like once you start trying to, once you change your kind of frame or mindset from like what are interesting things that we could build with all of this like moon math to how ha- like what is a useful thing to do. You have to have this kind of like full system perspective on what it is that you're building. And the way that you achieve privacy in a blockchain context is by taking all of the actual execution of everybody's uh, data, taking the user's data itself, moving it all like off chain onto the end user device and having them send these proofs that like oh i did my actions correctly but i'm not going to have to reveal what that action was and that means that you end up with this totally different state and execution model that is like kind of at odds with um the way that a lot of existing systems are built so as an example if you're trying to you know let's say you're trying to build some app chain right and your app chain is like mostly similar to other uh chains, except that it has like some special thing, that's your application, that's what it does, then there's a really great solution to that, which is you just use the Cosmos SDK and it's like this like rails for blockchains, it gives you your template thing, you know, and then you can add your own custom modules to do your custom thing. Um, And that works if you're doing something that is mostly similar to other systems. But if you want to build something that's like, like a fundamentally different architecture, you actually have to go all the way down the stack Um, and rebuild a lot of those pieces. And most of the work that we've done has actually been in, like, building the tools for us to build the chain that we're building. Um, We're kind of, like, evolving towards here's kind of a framework for how to do, you know, custom tenement chains in Rust. Uh, But that's been been something that's a kind of emergent from um, the, the work that we've done overall. And sorry, the cat is, is yelling, but um,
0: <laughs> no worries. Cats are but, also friends of the pod.
3: Yeah. Well, we, there's an automatic door and it's voice activated. So the cat yells and then the that's door cool. opens eventually. So I'll get up in a sec. Um, but yeah, it turns out that it's like 90% of the work is just like, Sending the data around and figuring out how to make that happen—it's actually kind of a kind of a ruck.
2: So uh, you know, obviously, the obviously big fan of the fact you folks are Rust Maxis and doing it in Rust. I guess the voice-activated door didn't work, huh? No, I that, think that was, that the, is, joke. That was that the joke. That was a yeah, great joke. was a sweet
0: joke, got. I think so. <laughs> hey, I've, <laughs> I've got it a very young it, baby. It, I give get it it took me a minute to get that i was like the voice activated door
2: surely they do have those (laughs) i was like they do exist i was like that would be at odds with somebody who is a well that would be odds with my impression of people who work on cryptography would be that somebody would allow a voice activated door in their place (laughs) of residence uh
0: i just slapped a raspberry (laughs) Pi and a motor
2: on my door and so it has a spindle that
0: (laughs) opens. it's
2: probably fine i'm sure there's no software on this that has been owned um it's like I I, I I met some people working on digital cash a little while ago and i was very very pleased that all of them uh looked at me like i was a absolute like i was a mass murderer when i used a card to pay for a coffee and all of them had like rolls of of little of five pound notes that they went around with and i was like this is good <laughs> i now feel bad about using the card which i should feel maybe bad about i don't know but I've i've exchanged my privacy for convenience and i deserve to have a boot around my neck anyway. Well, um, also,
0: those sweet crashback credits. What yeah. else are we going to do? You can't do that with cash. You can't. <laughs> that's how they get you. We'll that's just how, that's we'll steal pennies
1: and a little drop in there. <laughs> yeah, that's um, right.
3: I mean, c- yeah, credit card rewards are sort of like the the original, like, MEV of totally. the economy.
2: <laughs> if we had somebody clipping quote from this podcast, that would be every episode, there's one, somebody comes out with one amazing <laughs> one liner. Thank you, Henry. If you come out with one more, then shorts you send your gift basket. All right. <laughs> we'll see what we can you know, do I just volunteer shorts. Anyway, so um, so yeah, like obviously it pleases my pleases and gladdens my heart that you folks are Rust Maxis, but I guess that also makes sense based on the the stuff that you're doing that you would want to use Rust for, for this particular use case. But what made you I, I i guess the answer i think is going to be obvious but there there have been some other efforts to do chains in uh in tendermint so using tendermint mm-hmm. that are um using rust
3: mm-hmm.
2: um i'm guessing that you folks well from what i've seen anyway you've basically rolled it all yourselves so but you are am i right in thinking you're maybe using the ibc um no stuff formal or not uh
3: there's there's some overlap but um we we now have our own IBC implementation just because the um the the sort of chain side implementation of the IBC state machine is pretty intertwined with how the actual chain functions and operates right like in IBC you have like oh chain a is running the light client of chain b and like you know deciding whether or not it you know accepts the messages whatever it's doing all that and like writing into the state of the chain that it's in. Um, And so we're interested in like figuring out some way to like abstract that and kind of commonize it. But uh, I think it's always better to start with one working version and like one example, and then generalize from that rather than starting with how do we make this like very abstract thing that can work with anything because a lot of the problem of software development is like going from the, it's like doing the like draw the rest of the owl on what the requirements are. Along the way to actually building the system, you discover all of these like implicit connections between different parts of the thing. And I think that if you start with like building one useful thing first, generalizing out of that is much easier than trying to be like, oh, we're going to like, just have the mind palace, like, and it's going to come out fully formed and be this like perfect artifact. Right. Um,
2: that's, that's called chat GPT,
0: right? Yeah. <laughs> Just rewrite it for Penumbra. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead.
3: No, <laughs> yeah, so, but, but that's, that's also been kind of the story of the stack that we've built, right? So we started um, kind of working on this in earnest um, about two years ago. And at that time, I don't think there were any. Uh, tendermint chains in prod that were running uh, rust with the possible exception of I think secret had some kind of thing where parts of it were the SDK and parts of it were rust stuff I don't I don't know exactly but nobody was doing like okay the entire chain is just like the the, the app is in rust and whatever and so we had to basically figure out how to do that along the way and so we built up this kind of like little like salami slice like layered stack um and the lowest levels of the slices have been used like very widely among similar projects like uh the library that we wrote to interface with tendermint is also used by uh, anoma for nomada um And then, you know, we built like a storage system that has like Merkleized data stores and that's um, getting used by Astria and and so on. And so the hope is that eventually, you know, as we finish our chain, um, a bunch of the pieces that we built along the way can be reused uh, by other projects. So we're kind of, you know, most of the way through having to have invented our own stack kind of out of necessity.
0: How many are there uh, working at Penumbra right now? And do they all have a cryptography background? Or how did you all
3: like, come to work together? Um, so at the moment, there are three teams that are working on Penumbra itself. Um, there's Penumbra Labs. And then we're also uh, working with Strangelove, um, who are helping with uh, some of the IDC work that we've been doing. Um, and we're also working with uh, Spoken, who are building a uh, web extension and, uh, like, web front end for Penumbra, which is, like, a whole other fascinating thing of, like, how do you have, like, a web front end for a, transparent sh- or for a shielded chain where, like, you can't just go and ask some server, like, hey, what's my account balance? Um, Does that mean Penumbra won't have, like, viewing keys then? So. There, there are viewing keys that are part of Penumbra, but like, you don't want to give out, we're basically, we're not building the system on the assumption that you're going to hand out your like data to an RPC provider because that sucks. Uh, Yeah. So the challenge then is like, how do you like give every user their own local, like personal RPC endpoint and how do you design, you know, that thing to do all of the scanning and synchronization locally? um
0: fascinating okay yeah
3: so we can get into that in a bit it's it's pretty neat um but yeah so there's about the three teams working currently on it uh, at Penumbra labs we have about nine people um and i would say i don't know maybe like one third of the team had like previous cryptography experience um people have a lot of different paths yeah. um i think the difficulty of like you know, getting into doing cryptography is, is kind of overstated. Um, like not that it's like nothing, but it's I, I'm a I'm a believer in like roll your own crypto, but like carefully.
2: But then that is potentially with the luxury of hindsight and expertise.
3: Yeah. I mean it's like you don't you don't want to sort of like go off and you know do stuff like totally in isolation from, from the, the world. But I think one of the things that is the one of the best things about the like cryptos and cryptocurrency is that there's very, very little gatekeeping and you see the like ill effects of that too of like, you know, people doing wildly irresponsible things and then like losing a shit ton of money. Um, But I think like, you know, is that really like on the devs or is that on the people who are like aping into shit coins? I don't know. But All of that aside, the thing that is really, really good and special and, like, we should defend at all costs is that because it is this, like, growing industry, um, you just can't survive if you do gatekeeping. Um, Because, like, you know, talent is so hard to find. Like, you have to grow it. Um, And the teams that are, like, have this kind of, like, open sort of spirit – You know that—that's, I think, a really great and and beautiful thing about the the ecosystem that I think sometimes gets overlooked.
2: So, yes, I think that's a really good point. I agree that what you just said, actually, also in general, I think there's been a lot of negative, particularly in the cosmos. There's been a lot of negativity recently, and I think like it probably would do us well to consider some of those sorts of things a bit more in future in terms of like. I well, this is the. I mean, sorry, no reflection of you, Henry, but this is to be fair if i wanted a load of hippie positivity i could just like text jake and i'm sure he'd send it to me in spades because that is his his role in my life is to be the fucking hippie guy from california that's like everything's gonna be fine man you just need to put it in a dow but um yeah so like i'm also kind of interested like you know uh just maybe for the viewers you don't have to read your whole cv Mm -hmm. as well henry but like um like how did you it, it originally sort of get involved in the space full stop, you know, was it, was it that you had, uh, an academic interest and an academic background in cryptography first. And then you're like, Oh, that's an interesting use case for this, like for applying this. Or was it, uh, or am I caught before the horse? And it was, yeah. So, the way so
3: originally I did, uh, I did math. Um, and around the time of the Snowden revolutions, I kind of got into cryptography. Um, And for me personally, the original motivation was this like you can have this very, very interesting interplay between super high level um, abstract mathematics, number theory, you know, the geometry of elliptic curves, all this like very abstract stuff. And then when you do implementations of cryptography, you can have very, very low level, like the most low level kind of computer programming of like, you know, what type of hardware does this machine have? Like what type of registers am I going to use? Um, How do I, you know, have the like dependency chains among the individual instructions that the whole thing can go very fast. And it's like this, like almost these like two totally different ways of thinking. And one of the really, one of the most beautiful and interesting things about doing cryptography engineering is that you get to kind of like play both of these areas against each other. Um, so that's kind of my origin story into cryptography. Um,
2: Before you go, would you just describe yeah. yourself as a detail person, like more of a detail person yeah. or more of a big, yeah. right. Okay. That, but both. I, I... That,
3: that's, but that's the thing that's, that's really interesting about it is that you get to do kind of, you get to like play like, like sort of change languages as you go. Um, so, so that was, um, you know, how I, how I got into doing cryptography engineering, um, but also cryptography as a a field is a kind of inherently political, uh, thing. Um, cryptography, if you think of it as sort of the engineering of trust, accountability, uh, information, um, these are all things that have like very important, um, social implications. And so it's sort of this, this sort of trifecta of mathematics, computer science, politics, um that was very appealing to me um you to know, that end
0: where what um i guess i guess where do you, where do you live are you in the u.s yeah okay do you have any sort of fear then of you know like being shut down kind of like tornado cash given that it's kind of like a to us it's not very close however for the general populace i think it's just kind of like a squint away from being the same thing developing a private private blockchain versus developing a mixer?
3: Um, I mean, I think, so the United States is an interesting place. Um, and when crypto people talk about the regulatory environment in the United States, I think they mostly focus on the like financial regulation. Right. And I think part of that is because a lot of the activity in the space is in shitcoins, coins, which like, you know, maybe those could be regulated and that would be fine. Um, but the United States also has very very strong protections around like freedom of expression, free speech. There's legal precedent about you know code is speech. Um, people have the right to publish their ideas about you know how um, things could be organized, and so. And, and, and also, you know, with with Tornado Cash, as an example, right, like uh, Alexi who is arrested and just like held in prison without even any fucking charges that like, you know, that's not really something that I think uh, like America has problems, but but not that specific problem. Um, and so I think that from a perspective of like freedom of expression, the right to like uh, publish, describe software. That expresses some like political idea about you know how people could coordinate with each other. Um, there's not really a better place in the world uh, to do that. Um, you know, although you know there's there's other issues, um, and so so I don't have a, a particular concern about about that. I think there's pretty strong precedents in the United States about um, you know people have a right to develop encryption software, um, and that's. That's basically what uh, we are all doing. Um,
2: you and, know the insane so we'll, thing. we'll just see how it goes. Yeah. You know the insane thing about the, the um, sorry, I don't know his surname, but, but Alexei, the dev that was jailed, it was in Holland, right? It was in the, sorry, not Holland, yeah. the Netherlands. It was in the Netherlands. And the crazy thing about the Netherlands is they are normally a very pragmatic country. I mean, this is a country where Catholicism was outlawed. And their reaction to that was to when they were sent a, a police report by like a neighbor, oh, I think Catholics were gathering on Sunday. They would send the police around on Monday so they didn't have to deal with the problem, you know. And, and thus Catholics secretly met in the country for 300 years until it was unoutlawed. You know, there's there's literally, there's a there's a, there's a square in Amsterdam which was owned by all Catholics and the, the dutch authorities went well they're all catholics but they are doing it on their own property and property is sacrosanct so whatever they do in their own homes you know they can do i haven't seen any catholic stuff happening outside the home and either they had knocked two houses together and they had a, a catholic church in there for like 200 i forget maybe not 200 years but a long period of time and it's across the road from a protestant church so they, and, and how quiet could they have been? I mean, the Protestant church congregation would have noticed on Sunday that there were some hymns going on across the road. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, so it's surprising to me <laughs> that the Dutch are pragmatic people, especially when there's money to be made, um, which, you know, we, to some extent we are, we are talking about the, well, I guess the Dutch state isn't going to make any money, are they from taxation, which is, I guess maybe where we come back into the pragmatism of the Dutch, uh, I don't know, but it it does strike me as as a bit strange. Of all places, that in the the Netherlands were the people that would hold somebody without trial for that period of time over something like this, where they are generally quite like individual rights. You know, maybe maybe not.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I
2: think. Well, they love a legal fudge, anyway.
3: (laughs) It it's it's surprising, but I think also, um, I you know, this is my like unnuanced take is I think that in, in a lot of ways, like governments in Western Europe are are like mostly pretty functional, like 80, 90% of the time. And so I think people have a lot more like baseline trust and like, Oh yeah, you know, well I guess, you know, they probably wouldn't do that for no reason or, you know, whatever. Whereas in the United States, because the government is uh, less functional, I think that there's a lot more distrust of like the system. Um, and so people are kind of more uh, more hesitant to t- kind of like take claims at face value. Um, but right. but I, don't, I don't know if I have a really deep sort of take on it. Um, I appreciate so- the
0: take regardless, and especially on the, the encryption side of things. I thought that was a nuanced um, understanding, which I guess as a founder of an encryption protocol or encrypted protocol, you would have a nuanced take.
3: There's also like, I mean, people will sometimes talk about like, oh, like, you know, you can just like hop around the world and pick your jurisdiction or whatever. But it's like, you know, at some point, like you have to have a life and like live right. in a place and have a community. And, you know, this is where I am now. So here we are. Let's go. Um, but yeah.
1: Henry, interesting. You're, you're talking before about the just the amount of changes you've made um just on the core mm-hmm. stack and you know some of the components within IBC it's it's interesting to hear strange love being involved in that too um like we're getting more involved in different chains that are rewriting pretty significant components of this mm-hmm. so what does it mean to be a cosmos chain in your eyes and is penumbra a cosmos chain and how's that definition going to change and like where do you think this is headed like from as a as a founder of a project like this
3: um i guess my take is like I would be a kind of like more of a not like a sort of stricter interpretation of like Cosmos, like a Cosmos chain is any chain that uses the Cosmos SDK. Um, and by that definition, Penumbra actually isn't a mm-hmm. Cosmos chain. On the other hand, it is in the, the Cosmos ecosystem. Right. Um, and that was, you know, primarily motivated by uh, a like belief in the app chain thesis and B the existence of Tendermint and the existence of IDC. Um, I know there's like a lot of drama, discussion, dissension about like what is the future of Cosmos, what is the future of the Hub, et cetera. I don't really have like a super strong opinion about it because of just like all of my time and attention goes into the project that I'm trying yeah. to build. Um, but I do think that um, at, at the level of like the core technology, like I'm I'm way more of like an IBC maxi than I am like a Cosmos SDK yeah. maxi. Like IBC, just definitely will win. I, I think that's
1: we've it. all said that. On this um, show. Like that, it seems like that is the that seems intellectual property that survives no matter what, right? Yeah. But you but you guys are rewriting part of that. But that's not that's not rewriting it, right? That's not that's not forking it. It's, it's enhancing it.
3: It's not that we're even like it's probably useful to distinguish between like the protocol and the yeah. implementation. Yeah. Right. So at the protocol level, we're not changing right. anything. But at the implementation level, you know, we're going to have our own stack that sort of integrates that with um, what we're doing. And we want to be able to have a kind of deeper integration with IBC because the eventual sort of long term vision of Penumbra is being this kind of private cross chain Mm -hmm. layer. Um, We want to help bring IBC to more places, have like more client um, types. We have some interesting ideas about how you could enhance the security of IPC, Mm -hmm. Um, but all of those things, it's like, you know, I I don't want Penumbra to sort of be like building an ecosystem. Like I want to be building in an ecosystem and I want to do that so that we can have our like differentiated thing of like, this is what we do. And for everything else, there's like, you know, other chains and they can have the things that they focus on and are good at.
2: So in the context that um, Penumbra is, sort of well via IBC could be a gateway to other places in the cosmos if you're I guess if you're bridging in from another privacy preserving um, ledger DLT anything really um, in another ecosystem if you then built the sort of IBC enablers to connect with Penumbra it would be quite a logical place to sort of enter the Cosmos ecosystem because then it uses privacy guarantees when they land in penumbra are going to be at least as good as wherever they came from. Right. And then if they, if they want to go and just, you know, then go and just mash those, mash those, mash onto the hub and then lose that privacy guarantee that's kind of on them. Right.
3: Yeah. I think a really interesting angle here is like privacy and fungibility. Right. So fungibility is a pretty important property of digital assets that, You know my bitcoins are worth the same as as your bitcoins because they're both bitcoins
2: but we were talking about this the other week in context of you know the juno prop 16 whale i was like my juno is more fungible than his juno right
3: right and and as soon as you have there's this kind of fundamental contradiction where if you have this transparent system where all of the activity is public then you lose fungibility Because someone can say, you know, at some point in in the future, and you don't know what that's going to be like, oh, these tokens are are different. They're not, you know, worth as much as these other ones. Um, And so, especially in in the bridging context, I think it's a pretty interesting use case. Um, Also for uh, liquid staking, right? If you want to have uh, sort of trades between different liquid staking tokens, you might end up having like many different denominations of similar or essentially similar assets, right? Like here's like atoms that are staked with this liquid staking provider or this one or that one or whatever. And one of the really cool things that we built into Penumbra in our DEX is this idea of uh, on-chain routing. So when you submit a trade on Penumbra, rather than saying like, oh, I'm just going to trade X to Y and it'll look at that specific X to Y pair, you submit an intent of I'm putting in X and I want to get Y out and the chain will figure out what route of different uh, trading pairs is the best one for it to take. And the key thing that that unlocks in this sort of like multi-chain world, in this like liquid staked world, where you potentially have many different distinct assets that are somehow related or have like known relationships, or maybe it's just differing over the bridge or the staking provider or whatever. um, Our routing engine can basically route across all of those. So as a user, I don't have to care like exactly which like sub variant of this token has the deepest liquidity. We don't have to have concentration into specific liquid staking providers or specific bridges or whatever um, because we can just sort of just just clarify
2: for just clarify for listeners what the example there would be so are you saying in the case that you had like one type of bridged usdc and another type of bridged usdc you would be looking to route to the most sensible one for the user to execute without them having to specifically say oh i want whatever, actually yeah, so, USDC or so, whatever it might so, be.
3: Yeah, so like here, here's a, a, an example. Suppose that I have um, USDC that's bridged from Gravity Bridge and I want to get ETH that's bridged from Axilar. right? Now I have, you know, really what I want to be doing is this like USDC to ETH trade, but I'm kind of like mixed in this like bridge choice, which I don't really care about that much. Um, and so if I was using another system where there's this kind of fragmented liquidity environment, all of these tokens are all like their own little universes, right? The pool between, you know, Axelar USDC and, and gravity bridge ETH or, or vice versa is going to be tiny because nobody's going to be market making that specific pair. But on Penumbra, I could submit that trade intent of I want to, trade my, like, Axelar USDC for Gravity Bridge ETH, and the chain just figures out, should I do, you know, a stable swap between the different USDC representations and then go over, you know, whichever or um, Gravity has, like, the deepest liquidity on the USDC ETH pair, then, you know, maybe I have to do another stable swap on the other end. Um, and you don't have to have, You can sort of let liquidity providers decide where are we going to be providing liquidity and you can cleanly kind of factor out the uh volatile pairs where there's going to be price discovery happening from the stable pairs where like if i'm if i'm doing market making on uh axelar usdc versus gravity bridge usdc like i should i'm not really taking on any price risk other than the bridge risk, which like I can just you know unwind rewind as much as I like, so I can manage that, and so the cost of doing those stable swaps should be very cheap if you can have liquidity providers compete on price
2: so how do you like perhaps i've not fully un- understood it, but then for, if I've understood the problem correctly, how are you able to know that uh, denoms that have let's say a different representation or um a bridge in a different way but are fundamentally equivalent. How how are you folks actually working out what those things should be in that g- graph where you're gonna try to work yeah. out, you know, essentially like
3: <laughs> so, so which, we don't actually have to have the, the chain uh figured that out. We just determine that based on um some basic heuristics and like the amount of liquidity. So it's ultimately like a market allocated thing. If people are gonna provide uh liquidity on you know different stable swap pairs um you know they can do so or not um and the chain like when it's uh executing a a trade is just gonna um do a graph traversal and figure out you know which path is the best but that path search doesn't have to know anything specific about any of the assets it's just like you know where is the liquidity
2: okay so so the the graph traversal does happen on chain, then. Yeah. When the trade is submitted. Yeah. Okay, that's so interesting. We, we
3: spent some time making that fast.
2: Yeah, I was uh, going to say. I was going to say whether or not that's on chain or on the user's device, like some of the other things you were describing. That feels like definitely in the category of hard things.
3: Yeah. So, like I mentioned at the beginning, you know, we sort of built up our stack incrementally. One of the things that we actually built along the way is our state and storage system. And uh, the way that we do it in Penumbra is we mo- we model every uh, sort of part of the chain state as having these sort of independent copy-on-write forks. So anytime, everything is snapshots, everything is like a write to only my local changes on top of my snapshot, and those may eventually get committed back or, or not. And what that lets us do is actually have a a paradigm where every single execution of any kind is a simulation. And some of those simulations, we later commit to the chain state, but we always have the choice whether to commit or discard. And so when we're doing this like graph traversal, um, we can actually just like do this like parallel uh, search of like simulating every possible route that we want to explore uh in these like different forked universes and then like right, pick okay. which one we want and say like okay that was the best execution now let's do it
2: this uh, reminds me of work, work. working with rdf data back in the day where you quite often have like a large let's say government data set and you might want to overlay some new data from let's say a new financial year or whatever and so you end up having to you, you can't really add just one node to a massive data set of triples, you have to instead add overlay a new subgraph, then examine yeah. what the new universe looks like, and then say, "Do I want to combine these two and then commit my un- new universe?" And yeah. it gets quite quickly mind-boggling. I I remember, uh, so I can't even it, imagine. It's how exactly like that. It must get for, um, you, for your use case.
3: But luckily, we can kind of encapsulate all of that machinery, and so we just have this sort of you know, here's a state instance and, you know, you read to it and write to it. And, you know, this is why we use Rust. It's that we can build all these nice abstractions. Um, And it has a lot of cool performance benefits too, right? Like, because we're always writing into a cache, we're just doing like in-memory writes. And as we're, if we're ever like reading data that we've recently written, um, we don't have to go all the way down into the, uh, like, underlying disk storage to go get that data, um, you sort of have this, like, built-in locality.
2: Oh, it's so it's that- a little bit like the Gnomic, like the way Nomic did their Merck, um, like the tree thing, where it's all like, it's all basically in memory, and then it gets flushed to whatever yeah. the underlying data layer was, like rocks or whatever it yeah. was. Yeah, they- so we,
3: we only do one one commit per block. It's beautiful.
2: That is pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I appreciate. I appreciate you said you had you had to go. Do you have yeah, any time I, to talk to talk about the, the the stuff on client devices because that sounds yeah really sure.
3: Um, I do have to run. I an appointment in eight minutes, but I can just use up the time by running to it. Um, so the the cool thing about the client devices, right, is this problem of on a, when you introduce privacy into blockchains, you quickly realize that the sort of existence of this big database in the sky with everybody's state in it is actually this load. That's the problem that you're trying to solve, but it's also this load bearing component of pretty much every single workflow. And when you bring in privacy, who gets access to what information that adds this entirely new design access, right? And in terms of the data access, that means that now my wallet has to know about, you know, what is my account state? It can't just go and ask some server because the point is that I want to keep my data to myself and have control over it. Um, So we've, we actually, that was the first thing that we started with. It wasn't like, oh, what, you know, how are we gonna implement all of our proofs right from the get-go? It's how do we solve the personal data problem? Um, And what we ended up building is this thing called a view server, uh, personal view server that is basically like a personal RPC endpoint. So you can think of this as being kind of like a, like a micro node that synchronizes with the chain state, but instead of synchronizing every single block and every single transaction and doing all of the chain state, it only uh, it, it scans and filters for only the parts of the data that are relevant to your specific user and your account. And saves and indexes all of that data locally. It's built to be this like lightweight embeddable component. Um, when you run our command line tool, it actually like starts this node internally and does like in memory requests to it. Um, and what the spoken team has built that people can actually go and, and try out now, although it's still alpha quality, is uh, an extension for Chrome that runs the uh Penumbra view server in the extension, does all the scanning and synchronization locally, and then you can have this kind of connect to wallet like flow where you can go to a front end like you know app.testnet.penumbra.zone, and that front end can be querying the browser extension as like here's a like personal RPC for something that is gonna know about like just my account state.
1: That's pretty cool.
2: Does. Really cool. It's pretty cool.
3: <laughs> the, so, yeah, I, I do got to run, but the, the kind of interesting takeaway there that, that I think people should sit with is there's a really interesting interplay between privacy on the one hand and scalability on the other. A lot of the time people are like, oh, is it ZK for privacy or is it ZK for scalability? And although sort of, those are sort of two different initial directions, I think that they have a kind of convergent evolution because... If you think of sort of this perfectly scalable system, then it shouldn't be broadcasting information unnecessarily. And if you think of a private system, the fact that you're not disclosing additional information means that other people who aren't you don't have to be, you know, like they can't see that information anyway, so they don't have to process it. Yeah, that's um, the,
2: the, the. I've heard a similar argument about digital cash, where if you issue tokens, but then recycle them very frequently, chain state never gets out of control because the ledger right. is only ever so big, right? It's only ever as long as the in-flight transactions, which on the Visa networks, what, 1,700 a, a second at absolute peak? And then yeah. it's only that many things written to disk, which is like a megabyte, <laughs> probably, or less. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's really interesting. Thank you so much for coming, for coming to dip the for show, enough, Henry. I know we've been trying to arrange great. it for like a year, so
0: yeah. we really appreciate Thanks, Henry. it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Bye. Thanks, man. Bye. So I did track down that wallet and I have it in the show notes, so people will be able to try it out if they want to. Henry is such a positive influence on in the ecosystem. Every time I chat with him, he's just, one, He's obviously is like dude, a mega man, crazy smart. Like, <laughs> he is. So like you just kind of sit back and like let his go. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's got a great vibe yeah, as well.
2: Vibe. Like he's uh, does. Yeah.
1: Feel just happy. For this, just for <laughs>
2: listening, we'll, we'll add it to the show notes. You've got. You should follow Henry on Twitter <laughs> as well. Lots of hot takes. Lots of memes. Good value for money in terms of being free as well. Um, I think, I think uh, my, my crypto Twitter, I only follow about five or 10 people and Henry is one of them. So strong recommend. Yeah. He'll Mix go high. A lot, though.
0: He does, but he also has a really good way of explaining complicated topics on Twitter. There've been a couple of times oh, where true. like someone will say something about secret and Henry will pop in and be like, well, actually hold on. And I'll come away and be like, I feel like I might've learned something, but more importantly, I might've lost all respect for myself. <laughs> That's Okay. <laughs>
2: Which is the more important thing, really, isn't it? Just, just, just yeah, exactly. <laughs> self respect. I, I was towards the end of that. I was like, I literally cannot take up any of Henry's time because we we've got a limited slot and we we need to make uh, get some value for money. But a friend, a friend of mine who's very like cryptography and chaos computer clubby and whatnot in Germany back in the day sent me this sticker, which you see. It's one of the... When there was the asylum campaign for for Snowden in Germany. That's the, one of the, the stickers from that. It's just sat That's around great. here on my guitar in the office. Um, you know, I remember
0: whenever the Snowden thing happened, I expected... I didn't expect to happen what happened. I didn't expect him to be vilified. I thought he would be considered, you know... Not, not a hero, necessarily. I think it's a bit strong. But I thought things were going to go differently. The fact that he's still in exile, effectively...
2: Yeah, it, it's just wild to yeah. me. Yeah, it is genuinely baffling, isn't it? It. I mean, I would, I would say hero, and and I'm not even in the states. Like we're just in a five eyes country that are affected by your domestic anti-terrorism policies. And yeah, I mean, it, I, I I think that there's like a, that you, I think if you see like any any generational shift in like resistance to mass surveillance or greater awareness of mass surveillance or anything like that i think it does genuinely start with snowden like it's really hard to overstate just and, and yet it's still and like it has kind of been expunged from the historical record a little bit like
0: well just, big brother used to be a joke right you'd be like you'd be talking about something and you'd be like oh big brother's probably listening and now you can be like well big brother is quite literally listening. We know for a fact that he's listening right now.
2: We are so, certain that the government, not just Jeff Bezos fire Alexa, but also the government yeah. via emails. Yeah. I mean, but, but that's, the, that's the flip side, isn't it? You can't expect Snowden to be a universal hero in a world where people bring Alexa and throw in This homes.
1: podcast is probably the most secure communication channel we can come up with, actually. <laughs> <laughs> are we fucking it's, listening it's, to this?
2: It's, it's, I mean, well, the, th- like, the thing eh. is, you said, but like, the correct size for 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 res- for dissemination of, of information but also resistance to infiltration for a terrorist cell is about three <laughs> so you know by having any listeners we are already exposing ourselves to severe operational risk uh what that is the
1: government would they would they're killing themselves not being able to listen in on our our private signal chat but they would never watch this <laughs> fucking podcast <laughs> it's basically the same thing. It's this is a
0: hell of a tangent, but <laughs> Please. like this is a, this <laughs> is nice. Yeah, there's like yeah. welcome well, to the show. Well even this seems a little bit off kilter. So Reddit um recently like changed their API oh, policy, nice. right? Where they're charging the Apollo. More, the Apollo right? blow up. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And what I think is really, really interesting about this is so many of these uh subreddits have gone dark. They've gone private. So now it used to be that you'd Google something and some of the most helpful links would be from from reddit you're like oh i need to solve this programming problem and then inevitably reddit like on programmer humor or something or something will like have a pithy answer for what it is and that answer is actually true well with all these subreddits that are now blacked out you can no longer find the answers on google because you can't actually access the subreddits that have the answer and the the problem there i think is really interesting because so many communities are like going to discord now like almost all of the the networks that we're on, oh, really, like their primary means of communication is, is Discord or, or Telegram. But those you can't index, right? Those are private, and so all this information that is being shared in Discord can't be indexed. You can't Google it. You can't look up. Oh, what's the answer to this? When it's said in Discord, and I think that's creating such a big hole of knowledge that I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but it makes me it was, push back on Discord. You, a little do you think
2: bit. it's just that we're at a point now where? you know everything is always well i should know i guess i would say this because my intellectual basis is the european socialist left but everything's a dialectic obviously so you know it swings one way then it swings the other way you know um are we just at the point where we you know we had a very open internet in the early days um governments decided that was great for taking all our data companies decide it was great for taking all our data and so people have gone like you know whether that's the reason or some other thing just you know convenience or just commercial pressure or whatever people have gone into these more closed communities where to be fair a company is still taking and selling your data so if that was the reason then don't don't even waste your time folks but we're now just at the other end of the pendulum swing and like we can expect more open protocols, more open services in the future, or I don't know, it's hard to say, isn't it? If only there was a, if only there was a Twitter I, for the blockchain. If only. I don't yeah, nice. nice. Well, I think the, the yeah, okay. Well, huh. <laughs> I heard some wanker <laughs>
0: developed that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think we can take it as red There'd be a wanker. <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: I mean, from a business perspective, I think it makes a lot of sense to have. The groups like isolated like Discord and Telegram and WhatsApp do right like these are quite large communities. I think the Swede Discord is the largest one I'm in, and it has like four hundred thousand people crazy. in it. Right, like that's, that's pretty big. Um, that's crazy crazy big. Big. And from Discord, that it's a, it becomes a walled garden. Yeah. They have complete yeah. control, and so it makes perfect sense from a business perspective. But it doesn't make nearly as much sense from like a user perspective. Yeah, but it's, I agree. Opinion. It's
1: a total information suck, right? Like you, the the search tools are terrible. It's in the app. Like you're you can't really do it across channels or you can do it across channels. You can't do it across um, domains, whatever,
2: servers, Service. I guess, whatever you yeah. want to call. Yeah. Also, do you, do you feel like the noise is like non-linear? I feel like that's oh, the it's fucking garbage. It's With like it's exponential like fucking trolley, yeah. noise, like absolutely getting out of control. Oh, I just noticed a uh, fr- friend of the podcast recently mm-hmm. elevated to – Part-time presenter of the podcast Ben Davis has missed the guest, missed yep, our guest. Good timing, <laughs> yeah, great timing, um, spectacular timing. But um, I mean, from the open web perspective, yes, anything like that
1: should be number one. I don't know if Reddit's the right place for that type of structure, but, but whatever. But I mean, I agree that it's a it's a it's a huge issue when you can't search that or when those results get pulled out because the pages are down or whatever else. It's a hassle, and I guess I guess the what? that's the whole point of the of the of the of the whole, um, lockout, uh, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Right. Whatever. And not actually yeah. not to talk about yeah. that, but I, I've been following that guy and, and, um, like Reddit did not do a great job in terms of how to communicate this and the timelines associate. That guy who runs Apollo also not the best business negotiator in the world. Like, like that was like, I'm pulling my hands and I'm walking away and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to make a big deal out of it. And, and like, it's, like you, you, put, you got to put 10 years into this stuff. You got to think a little bit longer term than that. But, uh, but yeah, it, it, it just seemed like that's just a shit show all around. And, and I don't, I don't blame uh, I don't blame Reddit for charging for API feeds. I think totally reasonable, right? Like they should no no different than Twitter should have, but wait, 10 years ago, like if you want to do a third party and you want to be able to do that, then offer something that has a value and be able to come up with a reasonable price for that. What the hell.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that... I mean, the correct issue isn't that they are charging for API, it's how much they're charging, right? Like, the conservative estimate for how much they're charging is 20 times more than how much Reddit actually makes per user. I think that's where the core issue really came in. Um, To kind of wrap up my thoughts on the subject, a lot of people have been talking about federated instances um, of replacing Reddit, which is Lemmy, I guess. I haven't actually used it. Um, Or not Blue Sky Mastodon for Twitter. And... Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know. I tend to disagree. I have always had a lot of difficulties searching those. So I don't think it really solves the issue of searchability and user friendliness. I think those, like, while federated is, is a really cool concept, I appreciate it. Um, it. One, the user experience sucks. Two, you can't search as well. You, I don't know if they can be no, indexed or if there's some index issue them, with right? it.
1: It's it, like that, that. Actually, the Mastodon stuff is pretty cool. Like, it's kind of like the IBC of Twitter. Right. Like, like the way that you can, you can be able to move your profile across different servers and like how that search tool works. And like, I don't know how well it scales. I think it's going to, it's going to find out here pretty soon.
0: Um, well, it can, it can search, but can Google index? Oh, I don't know. Cause I've never been able know. to actually like f- find federated mass right. servers that I can actually like trend information yeah. for. No, that's, a, like, good, you that's can. a
2: good question. Well, with with Google, Twitter, Google you know, indexing, it might be a bug, not a feature. I think you can well true well yeah, well, yeah exactly I, I mean i don't know if i found
1: really good i mean being able to search for somebody's twitter handle is one thing but finding value on twitter is a little bit difficult but
2: but um yeah yeah
0: yeah,
2: yeah. but that was a good conversation so i think i think that's also like a, maybe a function of the f- so yeah, i spent a bunch of time in my life working on the federated web in the context of rdf and the thing that that what's RDF? The, RDF? sorry what's rdf RDF is linked data, so machine readable data. It's what Tim Berners Lee did yeah. after the World Wide Web, basically. Yeah, yeah. Got it, got it, got it. Is okay, what if every database exposes an API endpoint that every other database can speak over a protocol? Um, and then you can f- make federated queries across all graph databases in the meta network of graph databases. Um, it's a grand vision, didn't end up happening. Um, and I. I always tended to think that the reason for that might be because the focus was on the data store rather than the protocol itself. And, you know, obviously, also it was all XML. And so that changed. And then JSON LD and then technology moved on. Right. And also, the thing is like key bono, man. Like academics fucking bono. If you can just query all data everywhere with machines, Um, governments bono. Um, People who want to do helpful public goods things, bono. Nobody's making a whole load of cash. Like the people who care about that kind of shit are like NASA for weather data and combining large graph sets You know, um, so yeah, I, I I kind of think that like maybe some of the federated like social stuff suffers from the same problem. Where at least from my understanding of a lot of it, it's not maybe thinking about it from protocol up, which is like maybe a little bit of the benefit of if you start working in smart contracts and ledgers, is that you almost have to start with the protocol sort of and then sort of def- define up from there because probably your blockchain is a bit of an abstraction to you uh, unless you're the big brains at Penumbra in which case you're re- you're building your blockchain abstraction as well as you go um so i don't know it's hard to say cuz like obviously like you know like henry was saying you can't also build a protocol as a pl- platonic ideal either um so maybe it's just one of those hard engineering problems where you can have you know like distributed systems you can have fast Reliable, whatever you can't have all three. I can't even remember what the the three are. You know the the ones that it's fast, reliable, and cost, right? Mm,
1: uh,
2: no, the, the three. Uh, no, no, it's,
1: well. Time, um, time, and cost so is definitely one quality. Time, quality, cost. I guess reliability is
2: quality. No, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of like with with specifically with distributed systems. It's like about replicating and stuff. Oh. You know, you can have like you can have like. Essentially finality. You can have um it's like was it finality, liveness, and integrity are the three? Something like that.
0: Oh okay. So we're talking about like database and stuff with like yeah, we're about sharding and stuff
1: and yeah, okay. was, systems. Go, 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 go. Was, um uh sex, drugs, and rock and roll. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Not on this podcast, yeah. my guy. <laughs> Not on this one. Noel's <laughs> been muted for an hour and six minutes.
3: Rest of sure I, I, still here. <laughs> I just
0: uh, like Henry was a bit big brain and kind of fried my shit a little bit. And I was just didn't really have much constructive stuff to uh, add to it. So I thought I would just shut the fuck up and
3: listen. <laughs> I, try and learn learn something.
0: Something. I mean, his dry humor around the automatic door. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever he threw that one down, it took me a second to like process it, and I was like, "Oh, they do
1: have those good. doors." Like, I know they do exist. Like, you could do it where like I should respond
2: to something like that, but, but yeah, not like that one. No, I, got, I got got I got got. You got to respect the player of the game. Oh man, I would say about that one, which um, surprises me
0: because that that to me seemed like a pretty like British tier joke. Like, you know, if but, I would have seen that on Monty Python, then I I would like it wouldn't surprise me at all.
2: Right, but but the, but the shibboleth here is that British people know when we we meet another British person, we're like, ah, we both hate each other, we hate the world, and we're going to just try and outdo each other in verbal shitposting. This is understood. <laughs> it's understood. You know, there is a, there are rules to the game, you should see. You don't expect it from a Canadian. Canadian question mark. I had a bit of a moment there. I realized I don't know henry's nationality but i maybe think canadian well they said they lived in the u.s and that's i don't know good enough for me i guess american canadian North kind of
0: named american, american. American.
2: american i don't know uh yeah this the it's it's interesting that the, how the quality of the podcast has it's gotten dumber, gone that's for sure high level <laughs> yes like high level cryptography <laughs> concepts
1: to like what, what do you reckon what, canadian what, or american how, how many guns he own?
2: How do you feel about them guns? Oh, uh, Canadians have guns too, right? Well, right you are. Like more the merrier. Um, so we have some uh, casual stuff. i right? just noticed this week. I've also just now just noticed your your screen behind you. <laughs> That's very much the mood. So I was going to ask. Um, you know, in the context of you know, I caught up on last week's episode. It was great. Um, the S- SEC stuff has me asking: Is this the end for Zombie Shakespeare? Your your screen behind me. Behind me, behind ends, you. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of seems to suggest the answer, huh? Yeah. I thought I'd mix it up a little bit. You mix yeah. it up a little bit. Can you just program anything on that screen? Yeah. Is that if I spend the time actually doing it, yeah. If I spent the time doing it,
1: Yeah, It's exactly what happened. So you did you did a uh, before we run out of time this week, you did a bit of a you did a poll. You want to go through your
2: poll findings? Your Twitter, your Twitter poll? It wasn't so much of a poll was it as me shit posting and then seeing what what came back yeah so there was so there was a there was a thing and it got a little bit silly because obviously i forgot that people were going to just go you should know this you're in core one but i asked a question which we have asked in this podcast a bunch of times genuine non-facetious question what are the user needs in cosmos and what common tasks are the users trying to achieve and the TLDR of this is a lot of people replied. Some people were like, "You're on Core One, sure <laughs> you should know that." A val- hey, a valid point. Fair, fair point. Fair I wasn't point. talking about. I wasn't talking about Gino. Not about me. Um, not about me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if there were there were quite a few. Um, yeah, that kind of ilk, and some of them from other project people. Pro- people from other projects, and I was like, "Let's not throw, st- let's not throw stones, folks." That's in a market, they don't know either, right? Let's be nice. Anyway, um the conclusion was there are a bunch of replies. Some of the better ones. Um Jorge from Stargaze said all roads lead to (laughs) NFTs. Wait, what was the question? So genuine non-facetious question. What are the user needs in Cosmos? What tasks are what common tasks are people trying to achieve? Users. Users. Like I don't want to know about fucking stakes and tokens, sit on them for five years. Just making money, not a user need to me. Like it is a user need. Some people. It's, a, but it's not it's a that, that user Yeah, exactly. They need
0: to be able to run and track their steps, Is
2: what they need. <laughs> yes, he knows it. He knows it. Especially to me, like what was it, forty-four dollars a day at peak, something like that. Hundred forty. Was bucks. it
0: that much? No, it, it was. was Wait, which
2: insane, one are you talking about? You talking about the nothing. near thing? I think in like the Economist. This is how mental it was. It was like the Economist had like an infographic, like peak crypto market, what people were making potentially per day on those like, step apps just by sending <laughs> the data. And then get $45 just walking it around. It was like, you could, you, literally could, you could, if you, if you like, like we all now do, we all obviously work at McDonald's again now. Um, so, you know, you can make more than your McDonald's job by just harvesting those shit coins,
0: man. Um, I would have played Pokemon go and took it steps every day. If I had known that amazing. God, I'm amazing. so far behind the freaking anyway, go ahead
2: um so uh yeah so tw- so there's some good like i said there was a good response to that obviously uh Jorge's one of my favorites all roads lead to nfts which genuinely i think actually their <laughs> users are certainly asking to fucking mint nfts and then do lots of tasks with nfts and the definition so of nft will change like,
1: like that's that lay- that answer has layers
2: yeah i mean there's a lot there Jorge's pretty smart we're big mm-hmm. fans of Jorge um so simon water from confio cosmwasm another phrase of the show asked asked uh, also big brain um asked do you have users you have users um which I, I think actually also neatly sums up uh the problem for a lot of the cosmos um instant jesus on twitter said Good name. easy find out what blockchains are actually for <laughs> first step one Find out what step, step one. one, find out what they for. <laughs> step two question mark. Step That's three, so love, love that answer. Um <laughs> so, so um yeah, Brain Tricks said um we unironically aren't there yet. We're very behind in apps, let alone things to do that aren't financially driven. I think we would all yep. agree with that. Um these are the highlights of the of the comments. with well, the other ones I just tell yelling at you, um, basically derogatory comments yeah and then a, a car one. Uh, so, and then zeke zeke another friend of the podcast and uh dada super dev um basically said make friends shit post by bad kids which i think are actually three completely valid uh um, use cases for the cosmos so um there was a bunch of also discussion around on-chain entities and stuff which a lot of it was quite like aspirational for the future would be my way of putting it, but I will allow for start an on-chain entity because it is a fully novel use case. And obviously we're big fans of Dowdown on the show. So um the conclusion of me posting that question and then harvesting the responses for engagement for three days um and getting ten thousand or so impressions as well um in the process was buy and trade bad kids, <laughs> make money because it is <laughs> one, even if I don't I'm not so bothered. And then Number three, start an on chain entity. Those were the three actual use cases. And maybe, maybe the real DAOs were the friends we've made along the way, to paraphrase what Zeke definitely was not saying. Um, So, so yeah. So, on chain
1: entity, which I, that's a good use case. Like, that's a real use case, which is going to take some time, right? Like, we're not, it's not a 2023 type of thing, I don't think. Okay, for sure. I'd be surprised if it was. Uh, The rest of these are all a bit either facetious or whatever. So did you get any
2: real answers? <laughs> Anything else come well, up? So, okay. So, so the, right. So I, with apologies in advance to anybody that's listening right now, cause I'm going to have to, I'm going to show something on the stream. Um, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, what's going on here, but what the, the purpose of this yeah. entire thing was at the moment um, I'm working with a bunch of product people in my day job and I'm reminded of product maturity mapping, yeah. Right where you do something like this um uh where you have um uh, you you have a value chain and you show uh-huh. where uh, how mature a product is right where if you can create a product that's over on the left there in the genesis area where you have to do actual r&d to work out whether this thing even has a market and then take it to maturity like commodity mm-hmm. you make a that's how you make a billion dollars right that's that this is literally the product development matrix for how you make a billion dollars like um it was originally the the person who who did wardley mapping simon wardley was my understanding is the commercial guy who was tasked with taking ubuntu from a tiny percentage of the server market to being the definition of a commodity where you say i want web server don't care about what web server is give me server and they give you an ubuntu server right, by right. default which is when you ask for a about.
1: server it is an ubuntu server or you or basically ubuntu turns yeah. into that definition
2: yeah so he he has a little bit uh, he, he, his presentation style is a bit annoying but i feel like he might a little bit have credibility within that um the other definition of a utility of course is literally you know yeah buying your electricity you you're not, if you're making a build or buy decision as a business you're not going to be like we're going to build our own energy grid lads you're going to buy energy you're going to buy your internet um your natural gas depending on which country you're in. Anyway, so and this then was me throwing uh two use cases that came out of this actual discussion on a wardly map right and it's a bit shit map because i did it in about 10 minutes before the show tonight uh and you can't really read it so sorry about that but the left one is create dow um the right one is send user tokens with some financial value and so you can see like the things here that are super mature, right? RPCs are pretty mature. They're very fungible. Validators, in theory, are quite fungible. Um, there's a stable coin down there, the Cosmos SDK. So these are all the things that, the further you go down, they're more hidden they are from a user, right? But what's super interesting <laughs> is that if you want to send somebody anything with value, eventually, I figure, you get to taxes at the bottom there. Um, but a lot of the stuff around um, the DAO stuff, it stays over here in this really custom interesting product area where it's valuable it's new its value isn't defined yet and it's just waiting to be commoditized so it makes me think a lot of that you know financial type stuff again we kind of go on about users needs about real products a lot of the financial stuff is still like it's very hard to define without it touching the real world whereas that that dow stuff is just there it's in a new product area it's waiting to be commodified um so, anyway, that was me during my conference calls today, doing work that I shouldn't have been doing. Um, was doing a Wardley map about DAOs. So, I hope people on the stream enjoyed that slightly insane diversion. I'm so happy that after 66 episodes, we finally got into PowerPoints on stream. This is we've got a whole boomer <laughs> here. Here is here is here is my business development thesis. Hold on, Cosmos. hold on, kids. But this is the thing. Like, we got a okay, PowerPoint presentation. Okay, right, I have been coming. accused. I have been accused on many occasions of not having a strategy or a plan in terms of the projects that I interface with. I literally just presented a PowerPoint on on show on the show. So when I unironically say that. Yes, I don't do Twitter spaces, but you can join Game of Notes 2100 every That's Wednesday. Right. And you could have a PowerPoint about my thesis on g right. Rama says, thanks for the TED Talk. <laughs> Thank you, Rama. You are an inspiration, as always, to my aspirations to become more corporate. Not only do
1: taxes get mentioned, taxes got mentioned on a PowerPoint. Fucking amazing. This podcast is awesome. As a
2: value enabler as well. <laughs> this is amazing. It's like all the good <laughs> Not only do we piss people off with the PowerPoint, but we Taxes also- was in a box with an arrow going to it. It's fucking awesome.
0: And it was the end That's of right. the boxes. Like, everything, everything. leads to taxes. <laughs> eventually,
2: which
1: <laughs>
3: Eventually, all this
2: shit you do ends up in taxes in a box. It's amazing. And in some way, it wouldn't have any value without those taxes, because it turns out the entire thing is a massive circle tax. Everything is. No,
1: you said something really ta- perfect there, but I think you're on mute.
2: It wasn't important.
0: <laughs> God damn it. The one thing, the one time. Aye. One thing I want to throw in there is with the question of what are users trying to achieve, like what are common tasks and whatever, I want to talk about like the opposite. I think, I think the go-to uh, conversation piece for what like crypto can do is for NFTing uh, like mortgages or house deeds. And I think that's a horrible use case. That's a I,
2: rubbish use case in my opinion. But
0: everyone brings it up. But like they talk about like how how much simpler it could be to like get a mortgage and there's a lot of protections there there needs to be a lot of protections there if there isn't when there isn't 2008 happens again right and god i i don't know so so if you have like if you tra- can transfer deeds simply fine great whatever but like there would need to be better handling of your keys like you lose your keys therefore you lose your the deed to your house permanently like come on now that
2: no that's insanity isn't that- it but like, there's there's a reason that these things are literally held by the state that you pay taxes to, so they provide public goods for people that live in the country, and it's so that if you do lose that stuff, you go to whatever the equivalent of actually, to be fair, I don't think it is Somerset House anymore, but whatever the equivalent of that is in both the UK and the US, and you say, "Hi, uh, my name's Frey. I have a mortgage. Um, I need to find out about the property deed. It's this address." Here's my driving license so you know I'm not some fucking random. That does it. Could I That see does exist please? though cuz I I
1: used it last year actually. Um I remember I was actually doing a quick Google on who I, who we use cuz I was doing something with a family member's home uh figure, figure is figures who I use. So they're not actually an NFT no no, no 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 it wasn't it wasn't that piece. They were just using the blockchain throughout the the refi process. So they were using it to I mean you can go look and see what, I think it's figure.com if I remember correctly.
2: Refi is that regenerative No, finance? refi
1: as in I have a mortgage I want to I want to refinance oh, okay. that mortgage. Um, that's, that's what I mean there. But but also um but also I think this was this was I was doing a I was doing a refi or a a um a bridge for for somebody um or a HELOC as they call it like a home equity line of credit. And um and I think figure uses it as who knows it might be mostly marketing who it? but but they use it i think they as items come in and as documents get produced i think they're using the chain somehow in terms of ensuring that throughout this process that the uh, that there's some sort of integrity there but you can you can look in. i think it's figure.com i'll put a link in the show notes as well but uh we use them i think i use them it was 2021 actually a couple of years ago
0: uh so I think that that's a valid use case and like making sure the validity of each state of the process makes sense. Similarly, like the discussion of um, supply chain on crypto on blockchain makes sense. I, I'd actually do that. Yeah. That makes sense. If you are making a claim that you are having organic goods or whatever, or that all wow. everything
2: is built... Not- no no okay it. i don't know okay. that that got killed right because sap it's had that huge certifying. thing with
1: uh with Mersk, right and that got that got shit canned too or no ibm ibm and Mersk had that huge blockchain project that they were doing trying to do like global shipping container structures on the chain and that all fucking died but that might have been because it was too large like they might have been trying to do it globally i think it's too slow i think it's
2: too slow too and too large and then for Tenderman? the corporate social responsibility <laughs> six second block times whatever
1: what it's a container uh, how fast does it need to be
2: no, I mean, just like the amount of data, I think is is the problem. But but also like when it comes to like corporate so, corporate social responsibility, which is the other thing you hear about, I think like shorty was kind of getting at that use case, like organics, fair trade, um, anti-slavery, that kind of stuff. The point is that ultimately it has to be certified by somebody on the ground who can just falsify the record. And the primary problem you have with certification is the certification itself. Yeah. So the the blockchain doesn't solve that and and there is actually at least one at least one that i know of but multiple projects that have tried to do this with a relatively credible team a relatively credible set of advisors and absolutely smashed into a brick wall because everybody in the industry just went look the certification you're looking for already exists over here and it's expensive there's a reason it's expensive because they have to send people out or they have to have people in country to do xyz and and the technology doesn't matter. It can be a it can be an MS access database. It can be a spreadsheet. It can be a big piece of paper because at the end of the day, it can be a folder with all the certifications sent back from the people who are qualified to make that certification. But the the database is not the problem. Um and if data integrity is a problem, put JSON schema in front of your database and you're done. You can still have your MS Access database. Yeah. Hot take. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I used to work on a lot of data integration stuff, and there are a lot of different ways of solving the schema registry thing um, in terms of data integrity. Uh, blockchain is just one of many. It's a very slow way of achieving mm. that.
1: So, no new use cases for your Twitter poll then? Is that what you're saying? Bad kids?
2: <laughs> is that okay? Could bad kids get us out of the bear? On By the way, that's
1: that Stride. Uh, so, I voted no on the Stride thing. So, Somebody want to talk about this this uh, governance proposal on Stride buying Bad Kids as an asset? Yeah, no, go, go ahead. ahead. I I I thought it was. I mean, I voted no. I thought it was like degenerate shit. But do you guys want to like at least talk about what that is?
0: I mean, what's more to say? I guess uh, Stride wants to buy Bad Kids with, I think, community funds, right? Um, but I haven't looked too much into the prop to be honest. I read it and was just like, Jesus. And have- <laughs> so ultimately, they want to take
1: user dollars that are that are real dollars flowing in and buy uh, NFTs, right? And be able to hold those NFTs as an asset that could grow over a period of time. Is this a separate pool, or this gets folded into an existing pool of some sort?
0: I'm not sure. That's why I need to look more into it. Like if they, if their goal here is to take stride from the community pool, buy bad kids and put bad kids in the community pool. So the community could then like do something with it. If it went up in value or whatever, fine. I don't really care too much about, um, about diversification or rather I care deeply about diversification. I don't want to make a big point out of it. Um, you can make an argument either way and bad kids are the de facto blue chip NFT of the cosmos. And so, and, and by extension, you would be giving credence to the cosmos, NFT <laughs> <reason for that. laughs> which fine, fine. I'm fine it with that. It is what they're doing, right? I mean, it,
1: you're, what I, I'm not saying, I'm not talking bad on bad kids. We I hold a shitload, right? But you're, you're basically saying that it's an asset that has the ability to grow over time. And so if that asset's going to grow, I'm treating it as a security. Hello. And I'm treating this NFT as something that has value that I'm expecting them to buy and it's going to increase in value based on the work of others in essence. So I thought it was a bit too G gen. I thought it was a bit too early in this, in this life cycle to me, but I don't know. I voted no. Everybody shit on me for it. They could vote their own shares. The fucking validator thing. You shouldn't be voting anyway.
0: Yeah. I, I agree. I still like the idea of, uh, of Aptos's method of doing it, where voter and validator are separate in theory, you can't have the same. Yeah. Whether they, can, yeah, yeah, I think that's great. I, I wish, yeah, I don't feel qualified to vote seriously on all these right. Like things. this situation, like it's just like like that's the whole thing is like like
1: people look to validators for like incredible guidance around these types of I, I, issues, and I agree that you're more involved, so therefore you have more opinion around it. But that doesn't make them a doesn't make them an authoritative source on what the right thing is to do, right?